Jules from NZ, a podcast chocker with all things Aotearoa New Zealand and some about me, Jules. Cheer. Kia ora, tēnā koutou katoa. Hello and welcome back to all of you to Jules from NZ. Oh my goodness. Merry Christmas. Merry Kirahimite. Um, it's been a while, uh, not as long as it has been previously, but um, it's kind of the end of the year. And what I was thinking is that we're going to talk about what's happening over here. Sharing some news, some updates, just wrapping up things for 2021. Um, it's a bit of a long one, I think. Um, and some bad news, some good news, because that's the way the years roll. Um, I've tried to focus on sort of the end of the year rather than trying to do a refresh for the whole year, because I think um, trying to do a refresh for the whole year would be way too intense even for me. So I'm just going to give you a general smattering of things that have been in the news recently that I think are kind of Kiwi and I want to share with you. It'll give you a good overall view of what's happening over here. Okay. So let's start with some truly Kiwi news. Fonterra milk prices. <laughs> because we all we care about is our dairy industry over here. No, I'm kidding. But it is big business over here. Um, the forecast on the milk prices paid is expecting to be the highest milk prices since the Fonterra cooperative was formed 20 years ago. Caused mostly by continued demand and tight supply, as you can imagine. Fonterra's current forecast would see almost 13 billion, that's with a B, flow into regional New Zealand. And as the biggest processor its payment is set to set the benchmark for our competitors although we must not count our cows before they're milked because whether can play a part in the final run-up and buyers may become price shy if it's too high but the future looks pretty bright for milk so more quintessential kiwi news sporting updates while there is plenty to talk about let's just hit a few of the highlights that um popped up in the last couple of weeks so Liam Lawson, a 19-year-old from Hastings, New Zealand, just blew everyone away in a Formula One trial race in Abu Dhabi, which is pretty awesome for a 19-year-old. So good for him. I look forward to seeing what he does uh, with that. New Zealand is going to play host to three women's World Cups, um, cricket, rugby, and football over the next 18 months in a period dubbed a watershed moment for female sport in this country. And that's super exciting. So where will they be hosted? Why, at the sustainable-focused Eden Park Stadium in Auckland, of course. Um, Basically giving the park a chance to show off how stadiums can actually help the environment rather than negatively impact it. And I want to take a moment to talk to you about what they're actually doing because I think the stuff at Eden Park is pretty awesome. So they're reducing waste by recycling, obviously. They're getting clever around the packaging used um, in their actual stadium, so they're really careful about what food they offer and how it's packaged and stuff. They're reducing electricity usage by getting smart about lighting. They're reducing their footprint by the way of common composting initiatives and they have a grow space that's shared with the community which some migrants use to actually generate income for their families or food for their families in a joint scheme with local community support groups right amazing right and that's not even all so 
Auckland's Eden Park Stadium is a buzzing hive of activity, even when it's not a game day, because more than 360,000 bees are busy providing away at the park's on-site beehives, providing more than 700 jars of honey. So, super incredible, right? They're definitely leading the way in sports venues, for sure. Another thing to celebrate in sports is the election of the Auckland Rugby's Union's first ever female president. So former Auckland and Black Ferns captain Seuli Fayamalsela. Oh my goodness, that was terrible. I'm sorry, I'm not very good at Samoan, someone correct me, is the most decorated Auckland women's player with 106 games for Auckland, 57 caps for the Black Ferns, the Women's National Rugby League team, including four successful Rugby World Cup campaigns. Retired now, having been a detective constable in her J-job and a cornerstone of the legacy of women's and Pacifica rugby in New Zealand, representing Auckland from 1999 to 2018, winning 15 national championships with the union over that time. She's the absolute best person for this job, having experienced so much of it um, herself, and I'm super excited um, to hear what she does with uh, Auckland Rugby Unions. Okay, now that you've had some happy news, it's time to drop some politics. I'll try and be quick, but there's a lot of change here recently, and to not address it would be super bad form. So basically, the recently, the main opposition party had a leader change. It's a pretty big deal. They kicked the head out, put a new person in place, and it all happened within the space of 24 hours. It was absolutely crazy to watch. It was like, you know, like uh, two big presidential candidates are in the run-up to the election or whatever and one of them just gets kicked to the side and a new person put in to replace them it 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 was crazy so what happened okay so judith collins was the leader of national party from 14th of july 2020 to 25 november 2021 having entered parliament in 2002 and most notably served years as minister of police and minister of corrections she was the second female leader of the national party after jenny shipley so What happened to get her kicked out? Well, she spoke up about a complaint against a senior member of her own party. Waitaki MP Jackie Dean had come to Collins with a complaint about Simon Bridges from like five years ago at a meeting. According to Bridges actually himself, he was talking with a group of MPs, including Dean, and about having two boys and wanting a girl. He engaged in some old wives' tales, understood to be a discussion about the type of sex that might conceive a girl, and Dean had felt uncomfortable. But Bridges had apologized way back then, but apparently Dean was concerned about the incident in light of conducting reviews of parliamentary culture recently. So obviously this sort of thing isn't okay, but using it for political gain is crappy too. I should explain. What is also commonly known is that Judith Collins was known to be a bit hard, unliked. Uh, You know, again, shall I point back to Minister of Police and Minister of Corrections. And the party support numbers were falling. She was standing on shaky ground and Bridges was already eyeing that ground up. In fact, Bridges had already made vague comments about who he was making ministers of what once he was in charge. So Collins was probably mounting an offensive against him. Everyone knows that. So how did this attempt to darken the public appeal of Bridges go? Poorly for both of them. Tuesday, Collins found out about the complaint. On Wednesday, she reached out to Bridges, 
concerning it, who refused to deal with her over the matter, basically. She texted him a couple of times, talked to the party board, talked to Dean about going public. And then at 9.23 p.m., Colin's chief press secretary had sent on an email with the subject line, Simon Mitt Bridges demoted following complaint. Ooh, she went full demotion. And things went full crazy. She claimed that she had unanimous support of the board for demotion, and now they're saying they only had supported further investigation, not demotion. And the rest of the National Party, some who supported Bridges for the next leader, were completely blindsided. It was declared there would be a press conference at 10 a.m. Thursday, but not before a quick caucus meeting, of course, to talk about it, right? So yeah, the meeting didn't go well for Collins. Becker screamed about hit jobs and accusations flew about how desperate she was to hold on to the job. Bridges stepped out to speak to the media during it, basically saying we had yet to see the accusations of serious misconduct. It was still coming apparently at 10 a.m. question mark? Nope, but we waited. By midday, there were rumors that Collins had been rolled. A vote of no confidence was made. The MPs were basically horrified by her treatment of Bridges and how she dealt with the complaint. When we got to speak to Collins finally, we found out that she knew it was coming, that she knew she'd lose the top job by taking the complaint seriously, but she was willing to go down fighting. She said, it's a really hard job and I've done everything I possibly could. I just wish everyone well. And she went off for a beer at the pub. They were still left with a lot of what to do now, to investigate the charges, to find a leader, but it couldn't be Bridges now. He was actually tainted. So he did the smart thing and withdrew. So Dr. Shane Ritzi was made the interim leader while they raced to figure out which of the other identical white, bald, rich males was going to be the leader instead. Personally, Ritzi would have been interesting. He was medically trained in a time where understanding of these things is important, and Māori, so a voice for the people, but apparently he struggled to condense things into bite-sized chunks so it was harder to get behind. So basically, a smart good guy doesn't get the job because we're too dumb as a country to deserve him. So, yep. That's about right, honestly. What we got is former Air New Zealand chief executive Christopher Luxon. He's the first leader of a major party to be elected so soon after his entrance to a parliament ever, with only 409 days as an MP under his belt before becoming the leader of the uh, party opposition. We also needed a deputy leader of the National Party. Wellington-based MP Nicola Willis got the job. The Luxton-Willis leadership of the party marked something of a generational change for the National Party, with Luxton a first-term MP and Willis entering Parliament in only 2018. So that happened. Will it change things next election? Guess we'll have to wait and find out. Okay. The other thing we have to talk about, because a lot has changed recently, is COVID. Even the stats that we share. You don't really hear talk about cases or deaths unless it is unusual. And we did very recently have the youngest COVID death here, which made the news as the person was only 30. No stats on whether they were vaxxed or not, because the family didn't want that talked about. We're talking vaccination stats now. Speaking of that, we are full vax, uh, 95%, I believe, and first dose, 89%, which is pretty good. So we're also not working on levels anymore, but we're working on a traffic light system. The country, or parts of it, can be labelled as either green, orange, or red. So basically, what does that mean? Without going into huge detail about which places have face coverings and which don't and what you can do and how the distancing kind of works and stuff, basically, green applies when community cases are low and hospitalizations are manageable. Orange is... Um, applies when community transmission is putting pressure on the health 
system. So basically you can up to orange if um, there's community transmission, basically. And red applies when hospitalization rates are likely unsustainable. So when things have gone kind of bad and people are going to hospital a lot, um, that's when red would apply. It basically means the way that we're able to interact with places has changed. And the way that we interact with others is different and interesting to look at too. Obviously, there is an anti-vax contingent here because even in New Zealand, we have idiots. But see, look at my language right there. I'm usually instinctively nice and try to be understanding first and foremost, but I'm running out of patience with people who I consider to not be doing the right thing and holding me back from enjoying life like normal. And is that fear? Is that respect? I would never say it like that to an anti-vaxxer's face, but I don't need to anymore because there's lots of places that I can go that they're not allowed. <laughs> many jobs requiring it. Retail doesn't require it. And I work with many one or two, you know, anti-people. I, I don't mean many. One or two anti-people. And I'm sure I've served a few. Not that I'd know. But I know plenty of angry people from both camps and it's making people crazy. Like the guy who took 10 vaccinations in one day because he was paid to impersonate people who didn't want to take it. And that is probably pretty troublesome for him and huge for the people who paid him. He's fine, by the way. Uh, sick. He got sick as a dog, but he's fine. I like that the people who are anti-vax are all about, like, you know, that stuff will kill you and I'm not putting that crap in my body, blah, 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 blah. But they're happy to pay someone else to like die on their behalf with no awareness of the irony there. And Brian Tamaki, leader of the Destiny Church, a religion extreme verging on cult-like following, says he's pro-choice, but he's been pretty vocal on the encouraging process front. In fact, the clips have had him in court three times on charges of basically igniting trouble to simplify things. He's out on bail with lots of conditions, but the judge told him he was asking for trouble if he so much as breathes support for the protests and it will be jail time. So we're just kind of waiting to see what happens there. Māori and Samoan vac stats are low, probably due to mistrust. Aotearoa hasn't always got things right, and memory is long for that kind of thing. So the iwis have been trying to do their part to show support for it, including the local tribe from where I live. Ngāti Tawa are credited with the creation of the world-famous haka, kamate, and they had a word with the protesters recently. One of the iwis leaders... Dr. Taku Parai said, as the descendants of Te Rauparaha, we insist that the protesters stop using our taonga immediately. We do not support their position and we do not want our tupuna or our iwi associated with their messages. Which is pretty freaking cool to hardline that. No kamate at any of the protests and to do so would be super disrespectful to them. So... Woo! That's a very clear message, um, and I love it. Yesterday, the Auckland borders opened, and people were able to leave. Not yesterday. It was a few days ago now. Look, I wrote the script a while ago. Anyway, um, people were able to leave their hometown after 120 days of being able to, of being locked up. Emotional reunions were everywhere, and it is super beautiful. I'm trying not to be scared about spreading the virus because we've done all we can to protect ourselves, but Aucklanders have had it harder than most, and it's time for those people to have some freedom. In my immediate life, what it looked like is my national retail manager traveling to Wellington to look through my stores. Not the celebration of border opening that he wanted or that I wanted, but I'm sure it was lovely to um, see him. 
you know, and I'm sure for him, it was lovely to get out of the house. But more importantly, my auntie and uncle drove to see his dad after a long time apart. They played some 500, an old card game of trumps and tricks, if you don't know what that is, um, which they won and promptly got told that they could go home again, actually. <laughs> it was uh, beautiful and emotional, and I'm so glad it happened for Christmas. So thanks, Auntie Jacinda. Let's talk about some more fun things. To go back to politics for a second, Parliament has unanimously passed a sex self-identification law which will make it easier to amend a person's sex on their birth certificates. Once law, it'll mean transgender, intersex, gender diverse and takataipui people will no longer need proof of a medical treatment or a family court declaration to change the sex listed on their birth certificate but instead apply for it to be changed on the basis of how they identify. Isn't that huge and awesome? It's a win for those who are constantly fighting to just be looked at and treated as what they feel they are. So I'm super pleased. Oh, and P.S. Takatapui. Takatapui. Um, and I'll say it again, takatapui is a te reo Māori term which is used in a similar way to LGBTQI+. A. Plus, um, add that one to the vocab for your for your good selves. Something not to add is goldfish to other anything other than your own aquariums because, as we're seeing in Rotorua, it can cause massive problems if you dump them into rivers and lakes. Not the fish as such, but the weeds that are planted in their aquariums with the pest are uh, with them are a pest to native fauna and flora. The Te Arawa Lakes Trust, I believe. I didn't actually include that in my script. Te Arawa, I, I'm pretty sure that's right, said that in Lake Rotoiti and Lake Rotoma, the oxygen sapping spin off effect of these you know, aquarium weeds on the water quality has seen traditional kai or food such as kora, uh, crayfish, almost totally wiped out. Um, but they're trying something new that's actually 18, 18, 18, Jesus, read the script, Julia, 800 years old. They're using a traditional Maori flax weaving process to lay down to kill the weed and hopefully bring back the craze to the lakes. The mat crushes this weed without allowing it to break off and establish elsewhere and cuts the light off so they won't find it so easy to grow. No photosynthesis. But native plants seeded have been proven to be able to grow through the mat, so that will hopefully replace the weed over time. Terupu Kirotoroa is a craft center where master weavers share their work and they have worked with the scientists on this project on a new style of woven mat that they've called Ufi to last under the water. Fascinating, right? The idea that we have all of this tech and sometimes the old ways are just still the best ways. I think it's awesome. New Zealand gangs have had some interesting stats shown this year. Gang numbers have nearly doubled in five years. I'd say COVID had something to do with that. I mean, this is just my my thoughts on this. Feeling lonely and isolated tends to make you not want to be. <laughs> so gangs work on the principle of belonging to something and always having something to go, whether that's true or not. Like, I mean, it is true, but like whether it's good for you or not um, is something else. But it's seductive to those with nothing else. But with a New Zealand population of, um, you know, four million point seven or whatever um 
like, sorry, current population, 5 million point one something something, and gangs only having about 8,000 members, it's only about 0.1% of the population. So even added a, 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 a doubled amount, it's still not exactly concerning. And also, did you know that one of our biggest gangs is called the Killer Bees? And also, did you know that in Aotearoa, people are taking up beekeeping in record numbers? I know that transition was super smooth, wasn't it? (laughs) It is true here in New Zealand. There were 9,585 registered beekeepers in the last year. That's more beekeepers than gang members, which is kind of awesome. Of the registered beekeepers in New Zealand, 75% were considered hobbyists, operating 10 hives or fewer. From their studies, the reasons people cited were about increased interest in health or an interest in being sustainable, and some just want to do good for the environment. Some people, though, they were just fascinated with bees and they liked them. Um, (laughs) Fair enough, they are fascinating. To be a good beekeeper, though, did you know you need to know how to identify and treat disease and pests? It's not enough to just set up a hive and leave it. Bees can actually travel up to five kilometers. So if you don't look after your bees properly, they can quickly spread problems to other hives. So be a responsible beekeeper. But you don't have to have a hive to keep bees happy and healthy. You could plant some bee-friendly plants instead. Some of the best plants for bees are gardeners' favorites like lavender, rosemary, basil, as well as many pip fruit trees, citrus trees, and there's some cool natives like harakeke, rata, and rewarewa. I plan on doing exactly that myself. Let's keep the bees happy to keep the, you know, environment happy. And I want to end this episode with a Christmas miracle. Ages ago, a truly Wellington institution was attacked and a piece of valuable art was stolen. We were distraught as a city. No other city gave a crap, actually. (laughs) What was taken? A bucket from the iconic Bucket Fountain, the fountain that features in my debut Diceratops live D&D show, in fact. I have a lot of love for that fountain, and to hear some idiot took one of its buckets with no thought for how upset everybody would be without the splash it causes, and the laughs it gives us as unsuspecting tourists get soaked for standing too close for selfies. But it's okay. This tragedy has a happy ending, as recently the bucket was found through tips and returned. It's been painted and tagged to try and hide its true origins, but it's curved spout and bell bottom is far too distinctive. Any Wellingtonian worth their salt would spot it a mile away. And so right now they're doing restorations on it, but it will be back and I could not be happier about that. I look forward to going into town and getting splashed again soon. Hooray! And on that note, I think it's time to wrap this weighty episode up that I've been putting off so that I can do the next one. That's much more fun. Um, so personal thanks to my gems, Jason, James, Barry, Laren, KP, Ezekiel, and Joey. I could not do this without any of you. The next episode is actually going to be a glitter episode, and then hopefully I will get time to do some Christmas fun on Christmas Day. Um, so if you're enjoying listening to Jules from NZ, please give the show a review on the platform of your choice. It all helps. Plus, if you listen to this one, we all know about bees, and we can all be better for the environment. So where else can you find me? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter and YouTube and Facebook and all the places. Just look for Jules from NZ, and you'll find me there. Enohora. Kakitayano, Eroha Nui, and I love you, and see you again soon.